0: Hello, all, and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today, I have me a very special guest, Michael Michelle. Michael, how are you doing
1: today? I'm doing fantastic, Daniel. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. It's always great when I can connect with someone on social media and get them on. I'm, I'm a huge fisherman. I love to go fishing in the spring and summer <laughs> when I can in the fall, so it almost feels like that. You know, I just set some bait out and reel them in. It uh, feels like I got in the boat, you know, and got the fish right in front of me, so it always feels good that way um but yeah I was really excited that we could get you on I was really interested you know in your kickstarter experience you know uh book looks great blurb looks great you know cover looks great so it's always nice when we can get somebody on in these little snapshots you know um at particular points especially when they released a book recently just like yourself and it's nice to check in with them Mm -hmm. later and you know kind of see that progression that's kind of like a I see it as like like online recorded notes for the community if you know what I'm saying so Mm -hmm. it's always nice to you know to get somebody on and you know See right away how things are going for them. So uh we'll get right in there with that first one there, though, Michael. What has your writing journey been like up until this point?
1: That's a great question. Um, my writing journey has been nothing short of revolutionary. Um, it's it is like to me, I think personally, I have my own little personal theory about this, and it's that the more you really discover who you are right and like really accept it and step into it fully and don't worry about the consequences the results as much you just are like doing your thing um, the better you can be as a writer mm. because it takes the the ego right mm. maybe not in terms of like you know hearing a terrible review or something <laughs> that all that affects us but like when you're actually doing the process of writing you're not worrying as much about what other people think. And so you don't get like this more stilted language or low energy writing parts. You are just executing your vision 100%. And so for me, it was like this, this, um, this interplay with myself in the book. Uh, and it was like creating the vision. All the vision is also helping me define myself more and more as an author and a human being. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been evolutionary, revolutionary, evolutionary sounds funny. So, uh, I'm going to go with revolutionary. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's honestly, it's been like, uh, I'm not looking back is what we'll say. I started writing that book. I wrote another book actually in between oh, nice. editing that book. Um, oh. And that book's pretty much ready for publication too, but I'm not going to release it yet. I'm going to keep it a secret and uh <laughs> semi secret. People know about it, but
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Nobody tell anybody in the audience. Nobody tell anybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, Shh. keep it secret. Keep it safe.
0: <laughs> watches me. Watches me like the video that blows up instead of be like our normal like 100, 150, It's like five thousand. <laughs> so I'm like, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> you tell everybody now.
1: <laughs> People love to know about secrets.
0: Yeah, it's true though. Like, cause at any time that eighth question I asked, that last one, I'm like, hey, you got any secret projects or anything? And then like. As soon as someone says, like, yeah, I got this thing I'm working on, all of a sudden, like, the views go up and people must, like, oh, right. get to the end and say something. I mean, yeah. ever since we added that question, our everything shot up, like, quite a bit. Really? So, like, yeah, I think a lot of people really do, like, they just like knowing mm-hmm. that authors are working hard, I guess. So, ends up being well, interesting.
1: That's, uh, you know, the, so, something I use to drive my writing process is questions. So, I don't know if, yeah. I don't know if, I think I told you I'm a professional coach. Yep. In my my day-to-day work life. And uh that is that whole profession is predicated upon asking insightful or questions that evoke insight, right? And so questions drive my writing process. Anytime I get stuck for a second, the energy gets gummed up. I just start asking questions. What needs to occur in order for the story to move forward? How does this character truly need to develop, etc.? Um and Uh, When you can have questions in the story that people are you want people to ask uh, high level questions. Oh, my gosh, what is going to happen to this character? Are they going to go evil? Are they going to go good? You don't necessarily want them to ask, like, why is this in here? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, What the heck is this? Um, But if you can have people asking those high level questions, that's what pulls people along. Right. Um, I don't know if you've ever read a. A first book. And then after the first book, when it's like, like maybe they the superpower or whatever pops too early or something's revealed too soon. And then the books after that, it's just not quite as exciting. It kind of like loses some momentum. Yeah, yeah. I know some some TV shows. I always talk about TV shows on podcasts. I don't know why. But Stranger Things. Terrifying. The first season, I was so scared of it yeah, until yeah. I saw the monster. Not as scary. That's so scary. once you see the monster, it's it's not as frightening. Yeah, right? yeah. it loses the luster. Um, but a great example is another TV show of this whole question idea, and that is uh, the White Lotus. If nobody's seen that show, it is as far as like writers are concerned with dialogue and characterization, it's brilliant. But it also starts with, oh, somebody died on that trip, or somebody's dead. There's a body, and then the show starts. Right after that, like the opening scene is like, here's a big question, who dies? And it doesn't get answered for like eight or nine episodes. Oh wow! And so you're just pulled through and you're guessing the whole time. You're like, what? Because the brain wants to find an answer and the brain will stay engaged if it doesn't have an answer. It is a problem solving machine. And so um, the questions are massive in that way. I, I highly recommend to any authors out there starting out, start asking yourself some important questions. I think that's
0: actually really good advice. I have been kind of doing the same thing with my Kindle Bella series. I got these two great characters, and I went, and I I think that was part of the problem. You know, I'm trying to figure out how to, because like story structure in Kindle Bella is different, you know. So Mm the first three episodes are free. So you have to figure out how to get someone enticed. There has Mm -hmm. to be enough exposition, you know, to get them interested. But then, you know, you have to get them also, you have to kind of end on a cliffhanger between episode three and four. So that's, Mm -hmm. I've had to, totally this week like reanalyze like the questions and i think that's actually i wasn't thinking that ahead of time but now that you say it i think that's literally what i've been doing all day is like you know like asking high level questions to make sure i you know I keep the story going or you know keep Mm -hmm. the resources i think that's really really valuable advice so i wrote that down in my notes (laughs) definitely uh, think about that one a little bit more for sure
1: this there's also another piece to that i mean for anybody else i'm going to give away all my secrets these are not the. Wait, do I give away the secret or do I hold on to it? It's up, I mean, we're gonna plummet, right? If I we give can always
0: secret. edit, it's fine. <laughs> all
1: right, we're um, just going
0: like all of a sudden put like, ksh, ksh, oh, technical difficulties, and like you know. Yeah, that, That'll really keep, right them, going. That'll keep them going. And here is the
1: best secret you've ever heard. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I used to do this. It just kind of happens naturally now, so I don't need to actually put it down, but emotional arc, plot arc, world arc, uh, or world building arc. And I'd put that at the beginning of each chapter. And then I ask questions based on those things. So it's kind of like the emotional arc is what's the character going through. And I would weave that in with what they're going through. Like, how does it move them forward in terms of their emotional arc, the plot? How can I also move the plot forward at the exact same time and world building? How can I reveal another part of this world, you know, slowly as time goes on? And it's just always weaving those things together. Every chapter, because in my opinion, if you don't have those three things weaving together, it doesn't feel like a flawless or smooth experience yeah, yeah. for the reader.
0: Yeah, oh, I like that.
1: But that's how I would categorize my questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, I really like that. I've been thinking about a lot here, Michael. That's good. Yeah, that's, re- that's reason good. Why I do this? You <laughs> <laughs> always ask me like, you got a lot going on. I'm like, I just need. I'm like, you know, I don't talk to a lot of writers in my everyday. I talk to them on Facebook, but you know. Mm-hmm messaging someone on Facebook is a lot different than, you know, actually have a conversation where someone can explain their point. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. funny to, it's funny because this always is serendipitous for some reason. I'm sure it's because we all, you know, we're just, yeah, you know, just sitting around here all day writing and thinking about writing and, you know, listening to the last same podcast or read the same people. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, a lot of this is what I've been struggling with lately. So it's funny to hear you actually, you know, put words to it. And this happens all the time. And this is why I try to encourage people to go on a podcast or listen to a podcast, you know, at least, you know, so you can get some of those ideas Cult I'm obviously, as I said, before we get started, I teach history, cultural diffusions, the only way that we're a civilization um, flawed or strong or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, but it's the only way we have civilization. So I think that, uh, yeah, those are three uh, great prongs to the writing fork, if you will, or pitchfork, okay. uh, depending mm-hmm. on how you see writing.
1: <laughs> okay. You say you teach history, right? That's yes. a very important question for you. Yep, Genghis or Jengus, Jengus, is what has been popular recently <laughs> okay so I'm like is this just a phase it's Jengus, like is what I've been hearing and, and I, I say would, it and then people I want to like, say
0: oh, it <laughs> yeah well I want to say it politely because like for instance like I, I I took Korean uh Southern Korean and in college and um I'm huge into martial arts so everybody's like oh Taekwondo I'm like no it's actually pronounced Tay and they're like well, what do you mean I'm like that's it's, for, it's Korean, you know, it's, and that's how it's pronounced. So, um, but there have been certain, um, you know, people that I have spoken to and have listened to, you know, who actually, you know, speak, you know, the language and stuff, and you know, that's what they've been saying. So that's one thing I've actually been changing with my um, students in the summer uh, that I teach global or like world history too. When we when we get to him, um, so yeah, it ends up being kind of interesting, and it's kind of like a nice little caveat, you know, where. Um, I had a friend do that recently um, in a book. <laughs> they were actually like, because he's a history teacher and they um, he's, been, he's he's been doing that. So I thought it was an interesting societal thing um, where two of his characters are kind of like making fun of each other because they don't know how to say this famous person's name. And yes. like, yeah, whatever. He did the same thing either way. Like, yeah. So I was I laughed really hard because it is the history teacher in me. You know, that thought it was really funny. That's but, great. Yeah. Oh
1: gosh, yeah. That's I awesome. love it. Wait, <laughs> they actually is actually the conversation about Genghis or Genghis. In the book? He just just changed
0: the historical person to fit the fantasy setting. So I was dying. I'm dying, you know, because it happens all the time for history. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I feel like it's just been like the last 10 years, especially like people have really gone back and forth. Um, But yeah, it's it's so funny to me because, you know, like growing, you know, going through college you know, it was always Genghis Khan, you know, and I've yeah. taken a lot of classes and now they're like, the thing is changed. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, he made a good point. My friend's like, well, you know, is it going to change again later, you know, another 10 years because of X, Y, and Z. So it just ends up being really interesting, you know, and I just thought it was so funny that he put it into a book. Uh He's like, you'll like this. And I'm, you know, tell I read the conversation, you know, but it was kind of nice, you know, that, you know, it was like something that I connected with as a history teacher, you know, he, he put right in there. So I think, you know, some people would really get a kick out of that, you know, mm-hmm. other people go, you know, go past it, whatever, but it might also be an interesting world building thing, you know, yeah. because um, I'm sure at some point, you know, we've all, you know, we've all experienced that even if it's not with history, you know? So to mm-hmm. me, I'm always like trying to figure out like, what are those tiny little things that we do? You know, those sociological things can I put into world building or into the society? You know, cause I think we're always like, okay, there's dragons and stuff. It's like, okay. But you know, like I really liked a uh, war with Brandon Sanderson cause mm-hmm. he just had like the, like they get ice, right. They're in a tropical mm-hmm. setting. They get ice and he explains where they get ice and he does restaurants a little bit differently. And I always just thought it was so cool how he did the economy and how he built the society and there were like tiny little things that he did he had this great magic system these great characters but for me it was all about the society and i thought he did you know such a good job taking some things from different you know cultures and and putting them together so for me that was Mm -hmm. really cool but it leads right back to what you were saying though with you know emotional plot and world building arc um you know i think um i was talking to michael r Fletcher, and um, i talked to him a lot online and i interviewed him for season one and he was interesting um, in another interview, and I'd ask him about it later, where he's like, I like to just do this, like, here's my book, here's the world building, and I just peek the book open, and a little bit gets out, and then I slam it shut again, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the next chapter, something else comes yep. out, Rather than, you know, yep. like opening the whole book, and you know, or, you know, someone else yep. was talking about a bucket, so I think yep. that, you know, your approach, actually, um, it makes sense to almost, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to call it a measured approach, but I think it makes sense to think, right? What um what type of world building item am I going to focus here rather than try and build the whole world? Because I think a lot of people yep. get that. So I just personally think that that's a good way to put it.
1: That not only do they get stuck with that, but then they they end up with like info dumps, um and and stuff like that. Like you don't. Uh, it's a fine dance between being clear enough that you stay engaging, yep. um and being just dropping people in so hard that they're confused throughout. So like, that's why it's important to weave character and world building and plot together Mm -hmm. is because it has. um, So I've noticed something when I read, right. And I, I revised my book when I realized this Well, I rewrote my book like six times, but this was one of the rewrites. I realized this, it was okay. When a character is randomly just mentioned Mm. uh, like off page, you don't, you can't like, and then they're mentioned later in the book, even if they're mentioned three or four times, it's really difficult to remember who the hell they are. Yeah. Or why yeah, they yeah. If the character is introduced on the page with a name, and then they're mentioned later, you know who they are. Because yeah. they have an emotional uh, link, they've been described, you have imagined them, right? And so I realized there was this one little chunk of my book that was confusing for people. And it was because I was mentioning a bunch of people off page. And so I was like, okay, here's a scene. I'm going to cut these people out uh, and make a scene in which a few of them interact. Uh, And then later on another chapter, a few more of them interact. Um, And that you just, people don't really think of world building as world building having an arc. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Building has an arc. You want to start the foundations, the most salient pieces to your characters and then build around it. And honestly, if you do it, great. You'll have great. You'll have readers who want to invest the time and energy to go digging and start connecting the dots and tell you you fucked up, probably. <laughs> <That> you, <laughs> hey, it can have been here this time. There was this time. And they're not that old. They're this old. Uh, but The actually, eagles
0: could have taken them to Mordor. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> Even the greats do it, guys. Yeah,
1: <laughs> those freaking eagles, man. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's world building as an arc. It's up to you to see where you reveal information, how you do it in a way that's still meaningful to characters and the plot.
0: I just want to point out uh, uh, Tilda Colt actually has, um she does this with her outlining with color. So mm. I've totally, I totally interviewed her twice over the last two seasons and I'm just to- like totally blanking because I wanted to do it with post-it notes um, mm. so that I can move them. And I think that's what she does. Um, but I know she does hers in color, so like you know, she'll do something similar to what you said, and she does the three prong, but she, mm-hmm. I think she does a fourth one too. I'm blanking on it, but um, but she'll do the same type of thing to make sure you know I have these three here, and then you know to kind of keep it going. Um, and for me, like that really helped, and now I actually mm-hmm. do it. I don't do it that way, but like I do a similar thing. I do Google Docs, and I like mm-hmm. it because I can highlight things. So mm-hmm. throughout the chapter, I'll highlight people. And you know, those kind of things. And then I kind of do like a little graph at the end, like a little chart. Oh, that's and, cool. Yeah, I probably should actually do a video on it. Um, but like, you know, I'll make sure that I have Great that tips. in there. If I have too many world building things, like red, let's say, usually it's like purple, then I'm like, ooh, too much exposition. Or if <laughs> I'm like, oh, too many characters, like you said, or mentioned off page, I'm like, ooh, red, too many people um mm-hmm. you know things like that so it really you know it really helps you kind of like microsoft word right where it you know tells you how many times you use the word fantastic or excellent or something like that mm-hmm.
1: um
0: but i feel like it's you know it's interesting when you can actually see it in color but yeah it's helpful
1: I'm trying to think of the word that i probably overused there's a few i'm sure of it
0: <laughs> i was just i was just like, actually Saw a TikTok about this yesterday, so I'm actually interested to go into my sci-fi and and see which word uh, I'm I'm now using. I'm thinking I might actually do a couple of videos on that too.
1: <laughs> it's probably inky or uh, vapor. I don't
0: know. That's my guess. <laughs> I had one the other day, but I changed it, so now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Uh, we'll go with that second one there. I'm actually really interested in this, um, to, t- to kind of dive in more to your book, um, The Price of Power, but, uh, for our audience who has not talked to you a lot on Facebook, what is your book, The Price of Power about, and how did you come up with
1: this idea? <clears throat> okay, I, mean, I haven't even said who I am or like the, that I have a book. People are like, who is this guy? Um, <laughs> he's a, a professional book, coach named Michael. <laughs> professional coach named Michael. That's all you get. Uh, seems to know about writing. so uh this is the simplest way i can i can say it for people it's like game of thrones meets x-men although most reviewers the most uh parallels i get comparisons out of my like 37 reviews or whatever the majority probably more than half say it's like joe abercrombie i like to think there's more purpose and point with the plot and probably not as well written but um you know People seem to make the comparison regularly. So I'm like, totally cool with that. Uh, Totally cool with that. Um, But it's like Game of Thrones meets X-Men. And um, on a much more deeper thematic level, it is about um, sacrifice, right? Mm. It's like, what are you willing to give up to really get what you want? Mm. Um, What does it cost you? You know, what is the price of responsibility? What is the price of... um, the deeds you've done, what what is the price? Because everything's got a price, whether it's for the better or the worst of you know your world or yourself. Um, even deeper than that, thematically, what people will see over the whole series is it's, it's really about extremism and beliefs mm. uh, both internal and external. So your beliefs about yourself, whether they're extremely unpleasant or extremely pleasant, they can uh, lead to negative results, right? Um, yeah. someone who thinks so highly of themselves versus someone who thinks so lowly of themselves. And then also the beliefs externally, you know, social, social, political, cultural beliefs, uh, extremism, how dangerous that is and what it can lead to. So, um, yeah, that's what it's about in a nutshell. That's
0: cool. I really liked, I like that you said price of responsibility. I, that, that one really stuck with me and the extremism one I like too, because I think that some of the. I've been thinking about that recently. Some of the, the, I think the best stories like, you know, Robert Jordan's wheel of time, you know, the children of light, you know, they're supposed to be this awesome organization that helps good, but they do a lot of bad, you know, they're actually Mm -hmm. just the bad Mm -hmm. guys really, uh, spoilers. Mm -hmm. Sorry. It's been out a while. Um, but you know, the extremism there I think is, you know, that's what every time they appeared on page, I like freaked out, you know, I'm like, Oh, Aaron screwed or, Oh, you know, you know, Elaine screwed. Like, you know, it's like I thought that he did such a good job with extremism there. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of other stories too. Um, uh, Terry Goodkind, uh, like Blood of the Fold, um, you know, they got these different empires and things that they're dealing with, you know. And again, it's a very extreme um, where they're, you know, like he's, uh, oh, I'm trying to not get things away. Um, so the main character, like, finds out, like, he's this thing and this mm-hmm. one civilization is going to make him stay here because he's too dangerous because magic Mm. is so dangerous. And that's extremism, you know, and I've really Mm -hmm. started to analyze that more, um, you know, in a lot of the stories that I really like. So when you're saying that, I'm like, okay, cool. That's my cup of tea when it comes to epic fantasy, because that's something to me that, you know, it's in our everyday world. And to me, you know, studying sociology, so closely, um, particularly today in our modern society in the United States, you know, that to me, is so interesting, because I always thought, Mm -hmm. oh, the children of light, like, that's kind of like a made up thing. And then as an adult, now, I'm like, Holy moly, that is so like Robert Jordan was so dead on with so many organizations, mm-hmm. not to call anybody out, but like you could name quite a few at this point, you know, in this yeah. country and worldwide, you know, that like try to do the right thing and probably don't or probably do the opposite, you know. And I think extremism is a is a great, great topic, particular, you know, particularly to, you know, explore within epic fantasy. So when you're saying price of responsibility and extremism, to me, I'm like, all right, sold. I read about your (laughs) books.
1: Let let me say a little bit more about the, uh, the, how the magic system is linked into that internal beliefs. Uh, so there's this mountain. I kind of, I read Harry Potter. Um, and I was like, I just hate that he's just the chosen one. I I just don't like it. You know, I don't like that. He just gets magic powers. And then I started expanding that to be like, I just hate it when everybody just gets magic powers for no uh, sacrifice whatsoever. And I was like, that's gotta be my hinge piece. You know, the piece of the story, it's like the Iron Throne, Hogwarts, and Taurus is the name of the hinge piece in my book. And it's a mountain, right? And people go up this mountain, but only one in 50 survive, right? Mm -hmm. And of those one in 50 who survive, they have some superpower that's based off the thing in their life that has caused them the most suffering, right? Mm -hmm. It's not always clear what that thing might be, right? But um, half of those people, go mad so there may be someone who gets powers but they're actually it's like their ego becomes so big it overcorrects and they are like mad with power those are ruptured ruptured have to be hunted down and killed because they're dangerous the rest so about if you did the math right one in a hundred are awakened okay um and awakened one is essentially like that's what makes it like game of thrones with x-men is i didn't really i couldn't settle on one magic system and i was like Hell yeah. I love the care. I love the way X-Men have like your character. Um, It's like the salient history and their power makes sense with them. And the way that, you know, the powers interact or don't
0: interact.
1: Um, And you know what? I wasn't really satisfied with that either. So there's also a second magic system, but that doesn't, it's not going to be revealed fully until like book two and three, there's one like unified magic system above the X-Men magic system. but. This probably sounds like craziness to people, but trust me, it works. You'll get it. Uh, I'm thinking like something. we're gonna
0: have to like Mean Girls title this like her hair. It's full, It's so big. It's full of secrets. Like, Man, it's full, it's full of secrets. <laughs> so many secrets. So oh, <laughs> like, yes. Title it like all the secrets. Something like that. Or all something. the
1: secrets. I like it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds mm. awesome, though. I mean, that's another thing too. Where you're talking about multiple magic systems. I, I've talked to. I've, I've listened to a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people and i'm like ooh, i like that so like i really like steven erickson's where like Mal's in book of the fallen because like we're like okay it has like this like juridic spiritual you know shamanistic type you know and then which is older and especially on this planet it seems like it's somewhat more powerful but it's harder Mm -hmm. to get and then you have Mm -hmm. like the um you know whatever like the the kind of like the warrens or whatever and you know they get these powers from these other dimensions essentially um and these other realms but then you know you have like another one too and you know i like that he has multiple and each of them has like a different flavor it's my buddy and i best friend kind of see like almost like you know it's like a different um like vintage of wine or an ale or something like that mm-hmm. or a beer you know and they're pretty similar but they're so different and each person has a different taste with them so you end mm-hmm. up getting a lot of variety but to me like yeah multiple magic systems just i don't know it's it's a lot more fun <laughs> just like it, i think it makes more it's sense more the world is so big and you have so many different things and it makes sense that a fantasy world you know you'd have the same type mm-hmm. of you know same type of thing going on you know
1: I love complexity. I love it. I don't know why. It's probably why I'm a coach because humans are so complex. But I love complexity if it can be executed and makes sense. I don't love needless complexity. But I love things that really – things have to be complex for me to stay engaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all-time favorite show, The Wire and Dark. I don't Mm. know if you've seen those two shows. The Wire, but not Dark. Okay. Okay. The Wire is incredible. But Dark is – maybe the craziest feat of writing I've ever seen. It requires, you kind of should watch it with a guide who's seen it before. If for nothing else to just tell you, like when a person appears on the screen, you go, that's Hans. That's younger Hans. Hmm. That's future Hans, right? Uh, to tell you what's, ap- just, just not tell you what's happening, but just tell you who's who is yeah. who. Because otherwise it gets absolutely baffling. I've seen it twice. I still don't quite understand uh, all of the ending, um, but I'm totally okay with it. It's just brilliant. So, <laughs> the yeah. check in case you were looking for a TV show recommendation, yeah, 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 oh, that's awesome. I recommend it. I'm always looking for good, good writing.
0: <laughs> well, well I think you, you mentioned a little bit. I think of this answer to this question, but for our third one, what draws you as a writer to fantasy, and what is about this genre that you enjoy? Would you say it's the complexity? Mm.
1: Mm. Or the questions. I'd say com- com- complexity is definitely one of the draws. You know, like my my favorite series is Game of Thrones. Um, mm. I think that it's it's complex, but clear. It's so clear in the complexity. Um, and I just love the way that also I think George R. R. Martin's probably like he's one of the most technically sound mm. writers in the genre. Um I also think Richard K. Morgan is incredible. Like his writing is just really beautiful. Um, But I think Martin is one of the most technically sound and uh, I love gritty and complex. Um, That's what draws me more than anything. Um, With gritty, I know that things are going to happen internally for the characters. Uh, I like things to be dark, but I don't like things to be like horror dark. I don't love horror. I just like dark because, so it's the, it's the tipping point before despair, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like you're <laughs> a bit of an edge lord here, I guess with my darkness, but I love like <laughs> the edge of darkness because hope yeah, yeah. can still exist, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, for like a bittersweet ending kind of thing. But then like horror is just, you know, you, you know, it's something bad's going to happen and then it does. And it fulfills the expectation of just, it just not, doesn't feel good right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, if it does, then I question you. But um, <laughs> sure there people out there who really get a kick out of that horror ending, like, yeah, fucking everybody dies, sweet. Uh, <laughs> but that's not me. Um, I just think the darker and more gritty it is, the more satisfying it can be when that little ray of uh, sunshine bursts through the clouds. Yeah. Um, so that really draws me and the complexity keeps my attention. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Gary Stu's and Mary Sue's characters most people probably know what that is but that's like you know they do all the right things they they're super successful they kick everybody's butt um not my jam you know i like i like a good old-fashioned uh awesome character dies you know i think that needs to happen to really (laughs) make you feel not unsafe but question when you're reading uh and that brings it back to the whole question and answer thing yeah so if you can Killing a character is a good way to have people questioning and going forward. (laughs) That's why I think, honestly, one fell swoop of the axe is what made Game of Thrones famous. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's very
0: true. So. And then, and then a couple of swords and,
1: <laughs> and like the, a dagger, a little, some, some crossbow bolts. I don't know. You know, like <laughs> you're
0: right. I, yeah. <laughs> I remember whose podcast I was listening to where they were like, yeah, the, I think it was wizards words and words with like Rob J. Hayes, Michael mm-hmm. R. Fletcher, I love that one. Um, and, and Dirk Ashton where they were like the thing that made, I think it was Dirk or Rob that said, you know, the thing that made game of Thrones so good, particularly the books, you know, from the start was that like, it was like a TV show that you never knew you know, next week, who is going to live or die, you know, and you're always on, you know, pins mm-hmm. and needles. And speaking of questions, you're like, is my favorite character going to live? Is my favorite character going to die? And I think that's, that's what makes you know. yeah, I think that's what makes Malazan book of the fallen, you know, enjoyable too, is like, I keep, I honestly only kept going to see if certain characters are going to come back to life, if certain characters are going to be dead at the end. And I just want to get done with the crippled guy, just so I know what, like how to feel. Should I yeah, cry? Should yeah. I be happy? somewhat both. So, yeah, I think that the, again, like you said, the questions
1: really get you going. So. Mild tangent, but I'm just going to have to like, I'm going to throw a question out there is, Oh, is this going to be a spoiler though? Maybe I should withhold it. I was (laughs) going to make a, I was going to bring up a question about is first law really grim dark. And Mm. I had a really good point as to why the, the punchy language and the, the morally gray characters definitely puts it in that zone. But there's another piece that makes me be like, I don't know. Is it really like dark? I don't know. But maybe we should cut this out because I probably shouldn't ask it'll it'll get into spoiler territories really quick.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I can see what you're yeah, saying though. <laughs> I've I haven't read it, but I've had a, I've had this conversation with several people. Um yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying though. <laughs> that'd be yeah. like a really good video though later though. that'd be like a really good one um i'm down like genre hopping i don't know well like just just as a side note just in case anybody knows what we're talking about um you know like joe himself has actually came out and said that you know he doesn't necessarily i he just said this in wizard Wars and words in one of the last episodes with him um just ironically and they did like a three-part one i think with him but like he actually said he's like i don't really consider myself that grimdark so it's kind of interesting that Laura Grimdark actually says that at times, you know, so just saying. okay, people,
1: a lot of reviewers say my book is Grimdark and they compare it to Game of Thrones and Joe Abercrombie. I probably got like 37 reviews and like tw- almost 20 have said something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's Grimdark. This is kind of the big debate. I, I don't know that it's Grimdark. I've had a couple people say no, no way it's Grimdark. But I mean, if I had to rate it on a rating scale, I'd put like, game of thrones is probably like a a seven r scott backer and black leopard red wolf are like nine ten and i'd put like me and joe price of power and joe abercrombie's first law into like i'll say like three to five range by four Mm. or five something like that um let's i mean like go more in depth but i don't want to do any spoilers so
0: well, it's interesting, though, right. just because, like, there there were certain books that, you know, like, I read Forgotten Realms, like, you know, there's so many authors for. There's, like, 200, 300 books, uh, in, you know, in the realms, and um, before, you know, Wizards cut them, and it's, like, it's kind of crazy, you know, you know, like, there are some where my buddy and I just, we're, were actually trying to come up with a good video for Forgotten Realms, uh, but there are some that, you know, are, are like, classical fantasy, but then there are others that like, are totally grimdark, and it was before grimdark was grimdark, mm. you know, I think now, mm. I think you, you could technically you know, they, everybody always clumps all the realms together, you know, into, oh, just typical fantasy or cozy, whatever. But like, really, I think a lot of them need to be reanalyzed because some of them are so grimdark and awesome. You know, I think they really, you know, speak something to the genre. But I also think, it, you know, you bring up a good point. We talk about it all the time um, uh, with uh, Philip Pullman or whatever for the Golden Compass. I mean, look mm-hmm. at, you know, look at genre there. I mean, you can go young adult, one bookstore, you can go, you know, grim dark somewhere else. You could go epic fantasy. True. Sure still sold millions of copies so it's interesting you know when you know mm. some authors put here but then you know you can you know share these readers with some other genre you know so i think at the end of the day you know people always ask me like what's your favorite i'm like fantasy you know and sci-fi you know and i'm like mm. I, I don't know you know it's like i i think I, again it's like we're dividing ourselves almost you know uh mm. too much i think to a degree yeah. i like if it's a good story good character you know the author is not a you know he's a you know they're a good person not a piece of crap per, you know human being or whatever mm. I'll read their book review it and you know enjoy mm-hmm. it so it gets kind of interesting I think um, but yeah I definitely want to do like a video about genre and genre hopping I guess is the way
1: yeah
0: I guess this is the only way I can describe it but yeah because I've had a lot of debates with people privately mm-hmm. about the same thing uh, before we get on and you know after and stuff like that with different books you talk about but yeah that'd be a really good one but yeah. it's interesting that people have compared you you know and you know you know with Joe and you know and you know, first law, because you know you are saying you know, like I don't think I'm that grimdark. So you know, to me, like that's interesting. Then that might also say you know like something about maybe you know how you handle things in the future. So I think it's an interesting yeah. conundrum for you to be in. So, well, I,
1: th- I think I think if if I'm being totally honest, the thing that I would say two things. So I think I get a lot of Game of Thrones comparisons simply because of like the side characters mm. and there's a certain like tone and voice that they just. I kind of feel like that yeah, yeah, yeah. and the politics is very um complex yeah. uh, there's a lot of political intrigue that's complex that probably feels somewhat similar um yeah, with yeah. joe the comparisons i think with joe that are coming up have to honestly do with like writing style mm. um like really punchy descriptive violent scenes um which i think is an aspect of grimdark but i don't think it's maybe the ultimate like crowning uh, yeah, yeah. point that puts you into it necessarily Um, because there's still some hope in my book, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the, there's like, someone said, Hey, you, this in the beta read was like, this book actually reminds me a ton of Joe Abercrombie. I had a few people say that. And I was like, who's that? And so (laughs) I went and I read the whole first law and I was like, yeah, I totally get it. The the writing (laughs) style sounds similar in a lot of ways, punchy language. Um, awesome. for some of the more violent scenes. So well, I was like cool because I, I I was like I think style.
0: <laughs> yeah he like I mean, he went to school for that and stuff you know and' has worked recently on you know on that style. So if you actually have that I think that that's pretty awesome but it also goes to show tone and voice and style you know like two people who never read each other's work, Dirk Ashton hadn't read American Gods and he ended up having a lot of the same language and powers and yeah. things um, yeah. you know and it was he had to change a lot. Um, he felt. And then kept certain things, you know, with his books. So it's it's interesting after a while.
1: (laughs) There's only so much, so many combinations of DNA floating around out there. (laughs) You're you're bound to, man, dude, lately I've been seeing all these, there's like so many things that I'm seeing in other books that I'm like, like I I got curious, people have been posting about Christopher Rocchio, I think is his name. Mm, Yep. Yep. Seems like cool. It seems like cool series. I have such a long TBR right now, but. So I went and I'm like, oh, so interesting. And I went and I like just did the look inside. I do that for like a hundred books a freaking month, I guess. But um, and it was like first lines, like the character's name is Volka, and I was like, shit, I was like, that's the name of one of my characters. It's Volka. <laughs> um, and then it happened again with something in red. Uh, I'm reading Iron Gold right now, and something mm. else happened in there. I can't remember what it was, but there's something in there. I was like, shit, I have this na- name in my book. Um, but it's just, it happens. There's there's yeah, really yeah. no way to avoid it. Yep.
0: Mark um, Timmy and I
1: have a lot of the same
0: things. Cause like, we, again, Terry, good guy, really? Robert Jordan. Yeah. Forgotten Realms, like Dragonlance, like all the stuff we love and have grown up reading. We're it's mm. like the exact same. The only thing I think is different is I haven't read David Gimmel yet. Nobody killed me. I just been really busy with my baby. Uh, I have a bunch <laughs> of them I'm about to read as soon as I yeah. have time. Uh, knock yeah. on wood, but you know, it's like, it's crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm like, well, so I'm reading, the, you know, the blood of the spear and I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, you know, we have a lot of similar terms and things, but it like makes sense because, you know, we, you know, had so many different, you know, same reading experiences, you know? Yeah. Our influences, yeah. the well we draw
1: from. Is exactly. For yep. Sure. yep.
0: yeah, Yeah. 100%. Yep. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, that fourth one there, when it comes to world building, what do you focus on and why? We talked a little bit about your world building, but, you know, in terms of like, if there was like my friend and I were just discussing this the other day. If there's one thing that you would describe your world building on, or the one thing you focus on, I'm curious on what that one thing would be. Is it society? Is it, you know, different organizations, you know, is it maybe your extremism? I'm just curious. It can't be.
1: Oh, it can't be. It can't be a focus of one thing. You can't. So, I mean, I guess my one thing would be having to. question.
0: (laughs) Oh, it drove me nuts, man. Michael, it drove me nuts. He's like, oh, you only focus. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's world building. Like that makes yeah. no sense. Like, thank no. you.
1: It's so I guess the one thing I would focus on is how to focus on everything at once. That's Ooh, the stupidest that's answer one. you've ever had. <laughs> no, that's silly. Um I like but that. seriously, it is like uh you have to be open to everything as you create it. Because you might, yeah. I mean, honestly, my whole stance is I just go where the energy is and I flow with it. Mm. And it's like oh, I got to come up with a religious system. And then I'm thinking about a religious system and I go, yeah, but what? Oh, oh, that's a co- an economy. And then I come up with the economy. I didn't even do anything with the religious system. That's just how it happens. So yeah. I would say in terms of my process for world building, it is a interplay between character and world. So sometimes I'll be writing a character and I'll come up with a piece of their backstory. I'll make up a piece of backstory. And then I'm like, holy sh- awesome i'll plug that in fit into this and this and this and you just connect a bunch of dots with that and then sometimes it's like this character kind of needs something or like i need something for the world and then like this character springs to life as a result of the world and so there's this constant echo this constant dance between the two um and i think that it's i mean it makes me a little nervous seeing that i have like one and a half book written books written of five and i'm like always still creating things and i'm like crap at some point i'm gonna be trapped locked (laughs) in and I don't get to make up anything new. I'm gonna have to yeah, go with yeah. what I've got for that last book, right? <laughs> um, that choke point I'll probably hit around book three and a half is my guess. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's the simple and the sweet of it is just the interplay and dance between character and world. Um, yeah, I also draw a lot from history, by the way. Like you'd probably the best love. Way. <laughs>
0: you probably you
1: probably really like some of the like more like if you can write the history. Like no, like seeing how things have developed as a result yeah. of that, you know, like I, I've, I love that. It's like, these people are like this because of what happened. Yeah. You know? these people are like this. These are like the risk takers because they were uh, explorers who came over and like wanted to strike it rich. And these people are like religious missionaries. So they're a little bit more conservative in this side of the world. You know, they don't like these things and, oh, the, the religion doesn't like the native peoples. That makes sense. Um, you know, because they had to fight them for land and stuff. And yeah, all kinds of, actually, so my, my political system has a lot to do with what are called holds, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially to make it simple, replace like houses with holds. And a hold essentially is in charge of like a city, but they're also, they have a specific job that they do really well, right? So you've got like the Smiths of some Summerforge, right? Um, you've got the Bakers of Prav, You've got the uh, Masons of Breckenbright, right? So these are different holds. The reason these holds are there is because the country of Myanmar, uh was occupied by a country called Scothea. And Scothea is super efficient, right? They have to be. Their country is scarce, scarce resources. Everything they do has got to be like extra efficient. And so when they took over, they're like, y'all are conquered. You do this, you do that. You do this, you do that. And so they created this road system that connected everybody uh, and funneled like the goods and services through this one major city that they created where they all lived. And all the people that were in the country before were on the rim as holds producing Mm -hmm. for their overlords. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's they kind of kept the holds, though, as a tradition to some degree as part of Mm -hmm. their political system but then they changed the uh, other parts of it off state. But um, so just, I guess that's like a live example of world building.
0: Yeah. I like how you said like kept tradition though, that actually, yeah. And that's why I always try to tell people, like, you know, there's a lot of things if you actually understand history, I'm like, there's a lot of things, you know, or I, and people always, I think assume it's just this happened in this date, but I always, I always associate history when I, we talk about this with my students all the time with sociology, psychology, you know, um, ecology, you know, there's a lot of different things, you know, that, you know, are evolved in there that Mm -hmm. are interconnected. So I think if you understand, I guess maybe social studies is a better term, but history is really Mm -hmm. all those. So to me, I mean, that that's really cool. I I think a lot of times people forget, you know, like, and I think some of the coolest things are, you know, like, it's hard to think of it like a really good example. But like, you know, I'm thinking like, um, oh, there's just things that I've really liked with sci fi and fantasy where, you know it'll be i think one that i just love is like the um you know the the um why am i blanking what it's called and uh robert jordan's uh wheel of time um Mm -hmm. travelers people the the mark um the bird why am i blanking with the sword um haven't read it not the swan but anyways um but like everybody's got like the mark right if you're like the master swordsman and Mm -hmm. the heron. That's the
1: one thing I remember from the first yeah. book. Like, well, Herons are so cool. I've loved Herons yeah. ever since.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, I just, I to me, like, and he does such a good job with having other things. And then he just, he really understood history. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Steven Erickson's like that, too. Where, and then, you know, you get all these things and then you're like, oh, that's where this thing in this world came from.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, I think it makes total sense today because we have words like that, you know, places and things that, you know inventions, you know, culture diffusion in a nutshell. But it, I think it's cool to see that progression within a fantasy. It makes the world feel richer. So to me, like when you're like, oh, you know, the holds you left over and they kept these traditions. Like to me that's just really cool. That's like David Eddings, they they did he did a lot of that, you know, mm-hmm. in his books too. Um, you know, that I really liked. I was like, oh, this is really neat. You know, and you can I like history. So I, I like even in a fantasy book seeing you know these old things. That's why I like Lord of the Rings. You know, you have the the old watchtowers, mm-hmm. the old ruins. And that's why, like, uh, Skyrim and Oblivion, you know, you're going into these, yeah. you know, you're trying to find the dwarves or, you know, there's stuff left over yeah. and stuff, you know. It's just it's cool to see what's left over in, you know, a fantasy or sci-fi world. I, I like well, the discovery or, you know.
1: And and the people who were part of the, like, rebellion that occurred, they were the people with money. So they're the people who are, like, in charge of, you know, the Smiths. There's a, a family at the top of that hierarchy, a guy or girl, a woman, Lady Lord in charge who's making sure production goes smoothly. But when the revolution happens, right, they're the ones who are going to get rewarded if they join mm-hmm. the fight. So they join the fight, donate their resources and manpower, and then they're rewarded with having power over a city as a result of the war. So, mm-hmm. but with more freedom, obviously, because the overlords are defeated. So that's that's all backstory. But the thing is with, with writing fantasy, it, principle is using the tip of the iceberg, right? That's the principle you want to have is you write all that history, but you don't say it. Yeah. You write like three pages of history so you can include three lines in the story. That's how you have to do it. You just yeah. give people the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And if they really get interested, well, shit, someday there might be a Wikipedia. They can dive <laughs> in. If, if that ever happens, then great. They can figure it out. But I'm never going <laughs> to mention this thing about the holds and the history of it. You know, I'm not going to ever mention that explicitly in the book but I know it. Yeah. So I have to keep it a secret. (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't have to be a secret, but you just, you just keep it to yourself, I guess. Yeah, You don't mention it because it just get clunky and pointless and you gum up the whole story. So.
0: Yeah. 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 Too much exposition. Yeah. Totally. Well, I'm going to kind of combine, I should have done this already. I'm just curious really with your book, First mm-hmm. of all, like, I guess there's two main questions. Like one, I'm curious at what your main challenge was with writing and publishing this book. And two, why did you decide to go with a Kickstarter? And I'm mm-hmm. curious. If okay. one, one question leads into another one. So.
1: Oh, I feel like I had a really good answer in my head about the challenge and then I lost it. Uh, biggest challenge, hardest part. I'm going to skip, go to the Kickstarter one for now. Okay. Uh, so why did I decide to do a Kickstarter? Well, um, that was, uh, I mean, mildly experimental, first and foremost. Uh, people said, you should probably do that. And I think it was Michael J. Sullivan, mm. who, funny enough, actually backed my Kickstarter, oh, which cool. was actually super awesome because, like, it was my second best day because all of his backers got alerted because oh, they follow cool. him as a creator, not as not just follow his project, but they follow him as a creator. The creator then backs a the project it tells all of his followers boom is like a 1700 a day um which was awesome so uh i heard him talk about uh in a traditional publishing uh, scenario you get an advance and the advance is like you know five to 20k probably five to ten wow. k average right and um it's like that's what that's you giving yourself an advance if you can raise that much with a kickstarter as yeah. an indie author that's because you're selling your book essentially. Right. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I decided to do it because it's free. It's just another, it's a free platform where I can market my book and people will see it. Why wouldn't I, every other promotional website require, you know, you have to pay them like 300, 150, $500, right? Kickstarter is free. If you do the work and you set a, a reasonable funding goal, And you tell your family and friends, like, hey, here's where to get it. In addition to that, I think this was my thought behind it. I think it's probably sound. I didn't want my mom, who reads Laverle Spencer all day and night, buying my book on Amazon and screwing up the algorithm. So multiply that by 50 family members, and you've got a weird algorithm on Amazon on launch day. So... I didn't have the confidence that like I'd marketed my book enough that I'd get like a thousand, also, you know, a thousand people who are fantasy fans buying my book on launch day and my 50 would not make a difference. So I funneled them into the Kickstarter. You know, it's, it's also really nice. Cause it's more personal that way, but they're not going to mess up the algorithm that way. Um, I get a higher percentage of the money, whereas you yeah. don't get as high, you know, you only get 60% on Amazon, whereas here you get like, minus the cost of the book. Um, So that was really the two main things is uh, family algorithm, like keeping the algorithm pure yeah, yeah, if you can. And then uh, wanting to provide myself with an advance of sorts as an indie author, because that money goes quick. If people don't know it, it is expensive to indie publish. (laughs) 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 Yeah, you're looking at, depending on what you're getting, I would say minimum you should spend probably $3,000 but probably upwards of 10,000 for um, if you're going to, I only, I only hired a proofreader uh, mm-hmm. but some people are hiring developmental editors and stuff like yeah. that. And some people want, need that, etc. cetera. Um, covers range from 50 bucks to thousand plus yep. 2000. So um, anyways, so, all that money I raised from the Kickstarter will be gone like this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, people always think it's left over. They're
0: like, yeah, I raised, like, oh, but you raised like five grand. You're like, yeah, I put it on the book. Like, you know, yeah.
1: I mean, an artist for, I have a no- novelette that I just wrote that's like 13,000 words. Um, and I'm going to hire somebody to do the cover. It's probably going to cost me like 750,000 bucks, something like that. Yep. Um, and that's just a novelette. Yeah. So, um, but once you have that art, it's there forever, it's evergreen. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. It's you like say slowly.
0: One, I think those are two really good points, though, which I had not considered. And it's totally different than what other people have said about Kickstarter. So now you got me thinking those two things. But like, so what would you sorry, say? Third thing. Are, third,
1: the third thing is free exposure. Just that's another platform. You know, you might get some people with Facebook ads. You might get some people on uh, just word of mouth on Instagram or something. Mm-hmm. Or Instagram and word of mouth. But then it's like, why not put it on Kickstarter? We're well, getting their email list too. Yeah. You're that's like the platform. That's email. a bunch of emails. Yeah. yeah. I no, increased my too. email list by 200 people. Oh, that's awesome. Almost 200. Yeah. yeah. Like 180. So that's, a, that's a, yeah, that's still 180. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Might take you a
0: long time to get that, you know, if you hadn't done that, you know, I mean, some people, you oh, know, yeah. do that, you know, for two, three years. So just doing a Kickstarter, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, you save a lot of time there. But yeah, I think absolutely. Yeah. What would you say was the hardest part then? You know, would you say it was the Kickstarter? Or was it trying to just get people to look at the Kickstarter? What would you say, like, was the hardest part in terms of getting this book out there to the public? Or it could have been to the Kickstarter audience, too.
1: Gosh, what was it? I feel like there's been a hardest part lately, and I don't know. Honestly, the hardest part getting the like book uploaded to interesting Ingram Spark and Amazon, yeah. like that was just annoying logistics that I I did not enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting one. the cover exactly right was mm-hmm. tricky too. Like, I probably sent my cover artist like eight revisions. Um I was very annoying, but particular about it. I needed it to be you know your first book you want to you want to do it right. Yeah, um, yeah. that was like the most stressful part because you're literally going, I just put countless hours, a thousand two thousand hours. you yeah. know I think I've done the math, and I've spent three hours per page on this wow. two hundred thousand word novel. Wow. and all of that work is now in the hands of some artists who, you know, bless them, I'm sure they're a great person, but they're just working on it for like a week or yeah. here and there for a couple months at the most. Yeah, And that has that biggest impact on whether or not you're successful yeah. as an indie author and That's if your book cool. sells. So that is that was very stressful for me, that whole experience. Um, But yeah, hardest part, the logistics of uploading the book to multiple platforms. Yeah. Was not a fan. Getting those specifications correct and Getting like a B, uh, ISBN and stuff. I just, yeah, I'd rather be writing. That's what I'll say.
0: Nothing that makes sense. Well, we're almost out of time, Michael. But I just wanted to make sure with that last question there, just to leave people with your product here. So, do you have any news, updates, uh, current projects, things like that you're working on? We know you're working on a, a secret project, but was there anything <laughs> else that we could leave the audience with before we headed out for this episode?
1: Uh, Yeah, I got a, I got a number of things, a number of things in the works. Uh, so The Price of Power is currently out it's on Amazon it's in Kindle Unlimited ebook hardback and paperback format Um, please read it go get it read it and leave a review on Amazon Um, it's I've also got you know 150,000 words of the second book already written So I got about 60 to go and then a couple rewrites so hopefully that'll be out by the end of the year or early next year Uh, I have another book Series that's secret that is currently um, in the works. Book one's done, book two's partially done. And then I've got a, a novelette of about 12,000 words that's going to come out sometime in the next couple months. And that is called Songs of the Broken. And that is a prequel to The Price of Power. And I'm going to be offering that to people for free. Um, so at the very least, go do the look inside on Amazon, read the first yep. 10%, see what you think. Um, you you'll notice if you like it or don't. Some people, some people love the prologue, some people hate the prologue, which is really <laughs> weird. Some people it's like people will specifically in the review be like, I hated the prologue. And then some people will be like, that's the best prologue I've ever read, which is confusing to me because I couldn't decide whether I wanted to cut it or not. So yeah, yeah. there you have it. <laughs> I'm going to make sure we put this, uh, in the description for
0: you for definitely songs of the broken. If there's anything else that you want me to throw in there too, any of your websites or socials, just send that to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, thank you so much for coming on today, my friend. And, you know, I look forward to, you know, speaking to you more in the fanatics group and if there's anything I can do at all to help you out, you know, in the meantime, just let me know and we'll share whatever and we'll get the book out there. So.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, I appreciate it. Also just like, uh, I'll definitely send my socials, but also just a side note. I just think it's so great how much you love your kid. And <laughs> I always appreciate seeing it. It's very heartwarming. You seem like a very sincere guy. And uh, no, we be, we need more good good guys and good fantasy geeks like you out in this world. So <laughs> thanks for doing what you're doing. I always appreciate your, uh, your um, what's the word? Cheer, cheering me oh. on <laughs> when I make my Facebook posts and stuff. So thank you for that.
0: Not a problem, my friend. Anytime. Well, I hope you have a good rest of the evening. And like I said, I'm sure I'll talk to you this week in the group. So I look forward to it, my friend.
1: If, if you can't hear it, there's a bunch of ladies in the background. Do you <laughs> hear fair. that? I told you. I hear mine it's too. Is up there already. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely hungry. They're all laughing back there. It's true. It's happening. I swear it's real. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you have a good rest of the night, Michael. And I will talk to you soon on Facebook, my friend.
1: All right. Peace, Daniel.
0: Yeah.